Welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall, Gene Parenti, and Chris McCormick. Whole crew's here. Back to bring you the latest in the equipment space. I gotta say, boys, there's not a lot going on right now. We're not even into summer, but it sort of feels like the dog days of summer for the gear. We typically do a text thread and throw around ideas, and there's a lot of talk about what are we, what are we going to discuss this week? I, I, I don't know. We, we cobbled together a, a group of topics, so we do have a pod this week. No guest, but there are some things to discuss. First and foremost, as this pod is dropping on Cinco de Drinco, got to know what is your favorite Mexican beer? Go. Gene? Oh, you know. If there's any uh, answer other than Dos Equis, I don't want to hear it. Oh, then no. we're going to be at loggerheads here. Yeah, I'm more of an amber guy, to be honest with you. I and would expect so, nothing less. Yes, yeah, so... Mr. Coachella. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, got to keep it got to keep it a little bit different. But actually, my go-to, to be honest with you, that it has been for about the last 20 years is Bohemia. Bohemia, Bohemia Amber is my go-to. I took you for more of a most interesting man in the world kind of guy, but just just let me down again, Gene. The the one that the one that impresses me is the Modelo campaign. Like I don't know who owns Modelo, but man, they went from a you know a beer that you had trouble finding in a Mexican supermarket to on every shelf in America in about two months and ad campaigns and they literally just you know vaulted i'd make the argument that beer is more popular than corona right now you know from um, elon musk from bought that it. perspective yeah elon owns it it's uh now now there's marketing behind it so we're good we're good gotcha you notice all the twitter ads for uh, modello showing up right yes so what about you guys what's your what's your go-to i am a pacifico guy Pacifico. It's a. Uh, it's it's not it's not you know in that. It's not super popular. I wouldn't say. At least I don't think it is. It's not. It's not Corona, but it's a good one. Gets the job done. Understood. Understood. Chris. I. Uh, I would consider myself a little more highbrow. I am a frozen margarita kind of guy. So I like to Ooh, like to drink well it with played. my pinky up, and if possible, put fruit and and a little umbrella in it. Well played, well played. Yeah. Oh, just, I didn't take you for the highbrow kind of guy, buddy. Just bringing the beach to Arizona. Got to do it. The next know. time, the next time you guys are in San Diego, there is a speakeasy attached to a place right around the corner from me called False Idol. And it's all. I know Gene on a first name basis. (laughs) It's all. Thankfully, they don't. But uh, it's all rum drinks, and uh, it's some powerful rum drinks. And they must have sixty bottles of rum in this place. It's really, really cool, and all the different variations. So, you would be well at home, Chris, with your fruit and your umbrellas. And they have a volcano in the corner that bubbles every 30 minutes or so. Just to, I don't know why, because I don't think there's any volcanoes in Jamaica. But anyways, it works for them. Fair enough. I, I don't, I'm just trying to picture that. 
a volcano in a speakeasy. Yeah, I'm just going to let it's, it ride. You know, it's got that like all just the maritime, with. all the maritime nets and buoys <laughs> and all kinds of crap like that. It works so for margarita. Supposed to, let the speakeasy have the you're volcano. Supposed to, you're supposed to feel like you're in a rummy sailor bar somewhere in the, uh, you know, in the Caribbean and, it kind of has that feel. And then the volcano just adds a weird Disney-esque, you know, take on it. I'm in. So. You sold me. You had me at Disney-esque. <laughs> Disney, Disney-esque and alcohol. <laughs> yeah. yeah Anything Disney, Chris is 100% in. I'm in. 110% I'm sold. Let's probably. make it happen. Let's go. Yeah. Especially if he's inebriated, it gets even better. <laughs> so. now, I'm not even a drinker, so I'm a very, very cheap date when it comes to cocktails. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't, it, trust me, it wouldn't take many of these at this place. This place is leaded when it comes to it, but, oh, okay. Well, all right. We filled two minutes with. (laughs) And now, and now, well, so like now I need, now I need a, now I need a drink after, after all this, all this talk. But if you are listening to the pod today as it drops, happy Cinco de Mayo, go get hammered, make some bad decisions, all that fun stuff. And we'll see you next week. Anyway. Yeah, we'll see you next week. <laughs> there's there's my there's my sage advice for you on, on a Thursday. But anyway, we actually have a new sponsor, guys, for the pod this week. Repsodo. New sponsor. You guys Gene, use your launch monitor at all? I was gonna say Gene Gene probably dropped Rockform, didn't he? Did he did he drop Rockform? Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I think you know, I think he'd had enough. I, I, I think I think we played that bit about as far as it could possibly. Well, hold go. on a second. Yeah. Hold on a second. Wait before before we get into this ad read. Wasn't there a rock form story that needed to be discussed on this podcast? Really, <laughs> I vowed that we would make sure do this we, was discussed. Uh, free money I, for rock form, yeah, but we got Gene's giving me the death it. stare, but. I, I think he owes us a story here. All right. This is incredibly Gino? painful. <laughs> yes. So hey, listen, if I can tell you about my Scotty Scheffler, I mean that that's that story really was difficult to talk about on the podcast. Oh, if I can this tell that one. Worse, trust yeah, me. okay, that's fine, but you can still tell this one. Oh, that's fine, but go ahead with your own personal <laughs> humiliation. <laughs> All right. So I'm was it on video, state. Gene? Did they get you on video no, stubbing chips? No, okay. it was not on video. Proceed. But it just it, it it really made me want to get checked to see if I have Tourette's because I didn't <laughs> have the ability to like control my thoughts, and they just had to immediately come out of my mouth. Love that. So I was on this date with this woman. She was a law professor, very uh, very bright and very with it, and she's a serious golfer, and she's placed like a. 13, 14 handicap. And so she was really interested in golf and she was asking me all these questions and I was just, you know, answering them in my good natured way. And all of a sudden she paused and she goes, what do you think about speakers on golf carts? And I go, I wouldn't know. Cause I can't get one. <laughs> and the words came out of my mouth. I was like, Oh my God, I sound like a psychopath. She has no idea what the reference is for this. And then I tried to like, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm drowning now. And I'm like, well, 
you gotta understand i'm on this podcast and these guys all have the speaker and they won't give me the speaker and she's like why won't they give me the speaker and i go i don't know why they won't give me the speaker but they won't give me the speaker so i can't test the speaker so i don't know what's going on with the speaker and then i'm like there's gonna be no second date this <laughs> just, just run away right now she's like Make a who is this psychopath just get out of here because <laughs> this is not going very well so man yeah. obsessed about with this. golf speakers and now it begs the question, have, has any correspondence happened since the first day? Nope. <laughs> ghosted. Ghosted. Speaker ghosted. You know, I completely sympathize with her position I would love it from her perspective. Yeah, it's, it's what, everything was going what's great. What's going through her mind? Up, Everything was going great, and I brought up speakers on the golf course, and he went nuts. Is that like some underlying issue that he has? Well, 100%. yes, but yes. you know. <laughs> so the the speaker the speaker taunting continues even outside of this podcast, which is absolutely unbelievable. So. Note to self: never discuss speakers around my life. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll be walking home. Mm. Although she's she's been able to partake in a lot of the a lot of the the freebies, like we've we've got some some good portable speakers around this around this house that are being used for not golf carts. So maybe I should just send Jean one of those. Uh, you know what? I wouldn't do that. Let me have my I own do personal angst so that I could live. <laughs> wouldn't do it either. Totally kills the bit. Anyway. Well, tell tell about tell about the tweet you got. Was that a was that a DM or was that a actual post? No, that was that was a legitimate that was a legitimate tweet. That was not from from a burner account. Although I wait, I should I I, I don't know if it was a, from a burner account. I don't know if Coach was doing it just to mess with Eugene. But <laughs> at Scooterboy fifty nine on Twitter sent me a message that said. Please get Gene one of those portable speakers. Anyone that goes to Coachella needs one. He then could jam on that German band he heard. That's fantastic. That is. Uh, it is a, very, it's what, a very good tweet. You know what? Very Thank good. you, Scooter Boy 59 I don't need a speaker. I just need to know that there's some love out there in the universe thinking about me. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm good to go. Just jamming on my horrible sounding iPhone speaker so you know hey it's all right we all have our uh we all have our issues you'll uh you'll just remain single and uh speakerless until the first (laughs) yeah 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 but now now see now it's my goal to make sure that gene never gets a speaker yeah isn't that isn't that a great isn't that a great combination single and speakerless all right i'm just gonna let that one go so speakerless in seattle Or speakerless in San Diego. There we go. I got a yeah. new movie right there. Yeah, it would be a very sad and pathetic one that no one would show up. For. Wouldn't even wouldn't even make uh, opening opening night of theaters. It goes yeah, it goes straight so. to go straight to straight DVD. To, I'd say DVD, but that's a little passe as well. That's so. true. I know. I was waiting for that. Straight to Netflix. There we yeah. go. How about that? Hmm. All right. So, <laughs> I did want to let you know that this week's episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by our new sponsor, Repsodo. To start, the Repsodo mobile launch monitor gives you all the metrics you want. Distance, 
ball speed, club speed, and launch angle, just name a few. But where the MLM really shines is in the data visualization it can now provide. The Shot Tracer feature gives you video of your swing plus a precise visualization of your ball flight and shot shape, which I kind of think is pretty cool. You know, it's not just giving you numbers, but it's also giving you the ball flight as well. The new shot dispersion feature has a visual overlay of every shot you hit on the range, color-coded for each club, which is also another great feature because that's going to allow you to see where each one's going. And it also gives you pinpoint distance and accuracy. Optimize your club gapping, dial in your wedges, and really fine-tune your driver and fairway woods. The MLM also gives you some really cool charts and graphs that can help you practice smarter, not longer, to really maximize your time and help you get the most out of your range sessions. Use it indoors, use it outdoors. It's extremely portable and build custom practice plans based on your strengths and weaknesses. Simply put, Rapsodo's MLM is the launch monitor you need in your life. Go to rapsodo.com backslash fully equipped and use the code fully equipped, F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D, one word, for $100 off your purchase. Again, go check it out, rapsodo.com backslash fully equipped. And thanks again to Rapsodo for sponsoring the pod. All right. So I was trying to figure out what topic was going to bat lead off this week. And you know what? Rory McIlroy. Why not? It's a big name. Rory signs a contract extension with TaylorMade, which Brits, I, you know, they don't give you the exact details, which I'll be honest, I don't really like about equipment deals because you never really know if a guy is going to be on a one-year deal or two-year deal, or is it 10? Like there were rumors when Rory signed in 2017 with TaylorMade. So before that, if you want to back up, if you're not quite sure the history of Rory's equipment deals, he was with Nike until 2016. Then Nike pulls the plug on their hard goods. Equipment free agent for a little bit, even wins the tour championship without a gear deal. And then come the next year at the players championship, he decides to ink a deal with TaylorMade and there were reports that that was a 10 year deal. So some people were a little bit confused, but like I told a couple of people on social media, a lot of times, and it seems to be more of the, more of the, the UK outlets that report the the numbers, particularly when it's linked to a guy like Rory, who's from Northern Ireland, they'll, they'll mention some sort of years and, you know, financial figures. And sometimes they're right. Other times they're wrong, but clearly, I mean, he's, he's, he's getting an extension. So 10 years wasn't really what he was getting unless they decided to renegotiate his deal, which I don't think is the case, but it's been a pretty nice I'd say a couple of months for TaylorMade boys. They sign Scotty Scheffler at the players, same week where they signed Rory. They sign Kita Nakajima, the number one amateur in the world, to an NIL deal. And now you re-up with Rory. I'd say that's a, that's a nice bit of business in the span of about a month and a half. What say you? Uh, yeah, 100%. I, mean, I don't think there is... I mean, there's there's no reason for them not to make that deal. Yeah, I, I it's interesting. The one thing that I was wondering about is I, we've seen we've seen TaylorMade in the past do a little bit of addition by subtraction. You know, Sergio Garcia. I remember when he departed. Jason Day. Yep. 
um, departed. They and there was you know two of their big names that had been on staff for a while, and you know they've they've done a I will say they've done a really good job of of plugging in guys that have had really good success. And I mean Scheffler's not a young guy. I mean he's twenty five, but I'm thinking more along the lines of like when they signed Morikawa and Wolf right out of college. Both of those guys hit right away. Sure. Um, go back to John Rom. They signed Rom straight out of college. That Taylor Reed's had a, had some success signing the young guys to to deals and and getting a lot out of them before they end up having to to shell out. You know, Rom went to went to Callaway. Callaway had to pay up for for his services, and I mean that number had to be pretty big just based on the fact that that Rom was one of the best players in the world at the time. So yeah, Taylor Mead's done a nice job and and you know, Scheffler's Scheffler's a, a cornerstone. I did kind of wonder, you know, Rory's been pretty quiet recently. He's he's had he's had some wins here and there, but he's only won seven times. I say only because it's Rory. He's only won seven times since he signed on with Taylor Mead in 2017. You never know. Maybe maybe they decide to to go their separate ways, but but clearly Rory and Taylor made like the deal. Rory hasn't made a ton of changes. I was looking at his bag setup. You know, he's added the Taylor made Stealth Plus driver, and he's got a Stealth Plus five wood. He uses the just the original sim in the three wood. Right. But he hasn't made a lot. He hasn't made a lot of changes to his bag setup, and and I think he's just one of those guys who's pretty content. I was used to. I mean, you. You would probably have seen this if you were watching the golf the last couple of years. Rory was changing putters pretty quickly. I mean, he was in 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 one and out of another, and maybe it'd last a full seventy two holes. Maybe it wouldn't, but he seems to have found a bag setup that he's pretty happy with. And been playing some good golf. I I think he's got a great chance to win the the PGA. He's defending champ this week at Wells Fargo. But I mean, bottom line, he's he's still. A global superstar, Taylor made would be crazy not to re-sign him if they had the opportunity. And Rory, just at this point in his career, I think, I think it's important to have that consistency. You know, that's that's the most important thing for him, is he wants to win majors. He's talked about that, and for him, maybe, you know, I don't know. I, I you always wonder if guys would be better off going the equipment free agent route. I mean, you look at Scheffler, and then he signs a deal and he wins. I mean, he didn't have to make much change except for the three wood, but yeah. I think Rory, this deal just kind of highlights the fact that he's at that point in his career where he wants consistency, not just in his life, but in his gear. And he wants to stay with the guys that he's been working with over at TaylorMade. So yeah, I think it's I think it's a, a good deal for both sides and it keeps it keeps one of the big names with one of the big equipment companies. Yeah, I mean That's I would agree. What the, you can say. The, or are you gonna the, say Gino? The question that oh, I was just gonna say the question I have for you guys is is he their? Is he their one? Is he their number one guy? And I'm not talking about obviously. You know, if you look at especially in the last six months, Scheffler hands down is the number one from a performance standpoint. But from a marketing standpoint, you know, is is McElroy the face of TaylorMade? Kind of the face of that pack of DJ um, Scheffler. You think Tiger? Really. Yeah. I'd say yeah, Tiger, I mean, Tiger even, DJ, Morikawa are, yeah. are kind of eclipsing Rory. That's that's an huh. interest that's an interesting that's an interesting question. If you were gonna rank him in terms of importance to TaylorMade, I mean th- and they've got a star studded staff and TaylorMade's done thing done things differently. You know, when 
when uh, Adidas sold TaylorMade, they they slashed their tour staff. They had one of the biggest tour staffs in, in professional golf, and they went to a very star-heavy staff. And it's worked in their favor because they've been able to to bring a lot of the big names underneath their tour staff. And I, you know, I would, I would say Tiger just because whether he's healthy or not, he's still Tiger Woods and people care about, I mean, look, look, look at what happened the week of the masters. I spent how many hours searching Getty for pictures of his foot joy shoes. And if you, <laughs> you know, go- the, the guy, the guy moves the needle. If you go over to TaylorMade's website right now, just and you look at their their tour players and their marquee players in order of appearance on their website, you've got Tiger, DJ, uh, Morikawa, Scheffler, Ricky Fowler, and then McElroy. And then below him on the second row, you've got Garcia and Park, Wolf, and then I mean Fleetwood's way down the list. Had a few of the LPGA girls on here. It's it, yeah, he's uh, he's a little ways down the list as far as notoriety on their website. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and to to that point, kind of it crazy. just shows that Tiger still moves the needle, even you know, even when he's only played once in the last seventeen months or eighteen months. So, I mean, the guy won know. the pip last year with with very, you know, very golf, how much little. golf did he play? And he still won yeah. the pip. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, it's it's, Ty, it's Tiger Woods. He has. If you look at all the guys on their staff, who has their own set of of irons bearing their name or their initials in this case? Tiger. Fair point. Yeah. So Very everybody, everybody else. I mean, heck, Scotty Scheffler plays P seven TW irons. Right. It's. It's kind of one of the, like where else do you ever where else in a sport do you see the guys? I mean, I guess there were there were players during even Jordan's time in his prime that were wearing Jordan shoes, but you don't really see guys in the professional golf ranks playing gear bearing another guy's name or initials. So, True. I mean, even when Mickelson had the 7:31 p.m. the Titleist irons, I don't remember anybody else playing 7:31 p.m.s except for for Phil, which just again reinforces my point that Tiger is just in a different stratosphere than a lot of these other guys. I mean, I think you could kind of lump in the DJs and the Morikawas and the Shefflers and the Rorys, like they're in that they're in that 1A group, but Tiger's just in another level above them. And so. looking at Roars, what's in the bag? Does he still have those Roars protos that they made for him? Yep, he does. Yeah, I was. Yep. I was curious. I mean, yeah, they. Uh, I mean that that was when they first came out. They had Roars protos. They had DJ protos. Um, you know, I think Justin Rose was on their staff at the time. They had Rose proto irons. Yep. So I mean, a lot of those guys and and the. From what I was told, it's interesting, and it's funny you bring that up, Chris, because I've heard conflicting stories on this. I've heard that those irons were were designed with different different uh, preferences for each one of those players, so the irons were slightly different than than the retail version. It was just a because they were head. built to their specifications. Yeah, it it was. So they but gave an opportunity heard, to kind of change camber, shape, sole design, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Yep. Given exactly yep. that, the the player preference. Exactly. Yeah. But then I've heard from other people that they just badged them like that to, to promote them. 
that, you know, the guys were using the irons and then eventually some of them went into the P730s. But I would think it would be more the former than the latter. I think you'd, you'd want to give those guys exactly what they're looking for. So, and Rory was the very first. I remember being there at the yep. Bears Club in 2017, right before he was announced the next day at Sawgrass as a tailor-made staffer. And he was the first guy. And I do know that a lot of the other staffers that were on tailor-made staff were a little bit jealous of the yep. fact that Rory was the guy who was introducing these Roars Proto irons. And you've, you had some you had some pretty heavy hitters on the staff at that time, which I always f- found amusing. But yeah, it did take long for those other guys to get it. But I, I do I think it's a great piece of business for TaylorMade. Rory again, he's consistent. He's the kind of guy you want on your staff. He's he's a global he's a global ambassador, and you get him for at least a couple more years because it is a multi year deal. So, um, and it is it's interesting though because typically you don't hear a lot of these these deals being announced midway through the year. So I think TaylorMade and Rory just wanted to get this out of the way before the major season and not have to not have to worry about financials later in the year when his deal was I'm guessing was up because here's your extension. So anyway, there's topic number 1. I know it's not a sexy topic, but Rory always does Rory always like kind of like Tiger Rory moves the needle. So Yeah, I've always anyway. I've always enjoyed watching Rory play. So last week on the Corn Ferry Tour, they posted a video of a guy who was, who was in the field, Brandon Matthews. Do you guys know anything about Brandon Matthews? He's been on my radar so, a little bit, but don't know much about him. Okay. I mean, we, we talk all, we've talked a lot, about, a lot about Bryson on this podcast and how long Bryson is and he's the longest guy on tour. I'm going to say that that Brandon Matthews, if they were to go head-to-head in a long drive competition, I think Brandon Matthews beats him. Really? And this is a guy that a lot of people haven't heard about. He's 6'4", went to Temple, turned pro in 2016, as I mentioned, on Corn Ferry. He's actually playing this week at Wells Fargo. And so there was a little bit of little bit of buildup for him because he was playing last week, and I wrote a story on this. So Brandon Matthews is playing in a Corn Ferry event. And I think he's, even though he's crazy long, he's like T29 in, in driving dis- in driving distance on the Corn Ferry. And last week, he decides for the second week in a row, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go without a driver. I'm just going to use three-wood off the tee. Because I hit my three-wood, eh, probably like 320, 330. So why not? Yeah, why not? 320, 320, 330. I, I couldn't believe it, but it is it is true. And there's a story that's floating out there. And I'm going to totally not give credit where credit is due. I'll have to go back and find it. But it just it just reminded me. Somebody did a story talking about when Brandon Matthews was going through testing with one of the equipment manufacturers. And he's hitting three woods. And the, the fitter has, he says, hey, wait a minute. I gotta, I gotta go change out the the launch monitor, and so he comes back and puts a new one down. And Brandon Matthews keeps hitting balls, and the the guy apparently looks very perplexed, and he can't quite figure out what's going on. 
and come to find out that he was very confused because the ball speed numbers coming off of off of uh, the ball speed numbers that were being spit out by this launch monitor didn't really match up with anything that he'd ever seen before, like 186 to 188 ball speed with a three wood. And he's like, we don't even have anybody on our tour staff that has a kind of speed with a driver, let alone a three wood. <laughs> And it just it just was one of those like it highlights the fact that some of these guys are just so crazy long. I was talking to somebody recently about this, just how every sport it feels like guys are getting bigger, faster, stronger. I mean, if you look at if you look at pro football now, you've got guys that are on the the D line that can run as fast as some of the guys that are that are in the you know that are playing linebacker. I mean, it's just we're we're in a different world now where athletes are just going at 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 speeds that we haven't seen for their size. And the same thing in golf. I mean, you look at a guy like Brandon Matthews, he he does, he looks a bit like uh like a strong safety, big strapping dude, but this guy can can just kill it off the tee. And he's got a really good short game and he's playing on the Corn Fairy Tour. And I think he's he's gonna turn out to be like this prototypical body type that you're gonna see from a lot of pros in in the future. Just these six four, six five guys that just crush it. But it did blow me away that he is smashing it 320, 330 off the tee with a it's for the people that want the specs, it's a 13 and a half degree Titleist TS3 three wood. Um, so it's, you know, it's not like he's using some like souped up two wood, you know, Bryson, Bryson was using a two wood at one point, but you know, he's, he's not using anything that's out of the ordinary and he's just absolutely killing it off the tee. Wouldn't recommend a regular golfer do something like this. Cause you probably can hit it three twenty three thirty. but Hey, if you play a short golf course and your three woods, your better club, maybe, maybe just pull Brandon Matthews, pull the driver out of the bag and just go three wood. Yep. Why not? You know, you you raise an interesting point, and and I'm I'm going to put myself as officially neutral on this, but you know, looking at the tour, what was the name of the kid out of South Africa that um, qualified for the U.S. Open last year, and he played in Amex, and anyways, he had oh Wilco, Wilco, oh, yeah, we, I think yeah, we, I think I yeah, think, and there's think, uh, the James, oh man. I'm going to James Hart Dupree's was the other guy, both, yeah. both South Africans. But you know, the, these guys make splashes. They've got 200, 210 miles an hour ball speed, but I still am on the fence. I think, uh, Bryson's a bit of a unicorn in that his hand eye coordination has the ability to handle that. And, you know, speaking of Rory again, you know, Rory said a year ago, roughly a little over a year ago, that chasing speed ruined his uh, driver's swing and he had to back off. And a lot of these guys, and, mm-hmm. you know, I go back to guys like Rom and DJ playing the power fade. They could be swinging out of their shoes, but they don't. And so I still have not seen anyone other than Bryson do so effectively at that elite level. There's been a few guys, like you said, on the Corn Ferry Tour and a few of these other tours. And you hear about this upcoming swell of golfers, and I hear especially of the collegiate ranks, but I'm still a little skeptical until I see it, the ones that can actually control it, because I think you can get stronger. Don't get me wrong. I think that you have the ability, and, and especially if you're built like these guys are taller, more of the, you know, kind of the, you know, 
free safety or linebacker in the NFL. But the reality still is your feedback loop from your hand-eye coordination is only so fast. And are they going to have that fine of a tuned uh, hand-eye coordination to put that face on the ball and hit it consistently down the fairway? Because I can tell you, setting up for Bryson's conditions, man, it is, you know, not even full degrees, but quarter and half degrees create massive differentials. And at those speeds, it, it, it's it's a razor's edge, um, you know, phenomenon for these guys. He's he's smoothing it out there, Gene, which is which is the part that just blew me away. Smoothing it. I, I was smoothing it out there 320. No, I mean, I trust me, like I said, I am I you know, I just I raise the point, but I don't raise it like it's never gonna happen. These guys are never going to succeed because I do believe in the evolution of the sport, but I'm just curious. You know, if you've got a hundred guys that swing, say over 130 miles an hour, how many of them are going to be able to, you know, compete on the most elite level by actually hitting a consistent amount of fairways and not, you know, blowing up and, you know, having meltdowns that inevitably happen when you're swinging that fast, especially under pressure. So, I, you know, I, I could be totally wrong and there could be a whole wave of these kids coming up that are, you know, all of a sudden the mean average of club head speed could go up to 130 miles an hour next year. I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm also just a little skeptical of, um, you know, are these guys going to be able to control this, especially under intensely competitive situations? Fair. You know, it's fair, fair, fair point. I mean, I think we saw it when when other guys were trying to follow Bryson's lead. They don't, didn't take very long for a lot of them to figure out that this is this is unmanageable. I can't I can't swing this fast, and if I do, I run the risk of of injury. And if I'm not playing golf, yep. I'm not making money. So yep. yeah, I do I do think with a guy like a Brandon Matthews, I mean, the guys that can smooth it out there that fast or that far, I just that's that's like a cheat code. I mean, DJ can do it. I mean, we see we see him do it, and he's probably the one guy where I feel like he's I feel like he's mastered whatever that that code is for distance plus accuracy. He's the most I would say he's the most accurate driver of the golf ball in the history of the game. And the guy just drives it on a string, but he's smashing it. And I haven't really seen anybody else that's been able to to do it like him. I think it's I think it's possible, but you got to be you got to you got to find that fine line between, you know, some game changing distance while also maintaining that accuracy. I think DJ's done it, but I don't really know anybody else. Rory can do it. On I mean, he's he's probably the next guy that I would say, but I think DJ just does it on a different level. But you know, DJ also plays that power fade. To control it, mm. you know, and it helps. and yeah, and that kind of leads us to. Uh, I'll let you uh, prime it up, Jay Wall, but you know, kind of some of the research that I was doing in regard to, you know, how certain players are going to be affected, and other ones maybe benefit benefit from you know potential uh, rule and equipment changes. Yeah, and this, I think it is. It's a great segue into the next topic. 
we were looking for, it's like, what can we talk about that would be interesting beyond the fact that Rory signed the extensions and guys are using three woods instead of driver and into her events. And Gene brought up the great idea to discuss, you know, none of these rules, the, the, so the USGA and the RNA back in, I guess it was March came out with, came out with these, you know, some of these suggestions, things that they were going to look into for this distance insight report. And, you know, there are, I will say, I, I think there are changes coming. I think we, can we all agree there? There, there are going to be changes that will be made to the equipment. Oh, hundred percent. I concur. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what those changes are, I think is, is still TBD because the manufacturers are not going to go away without a fight. And I think that they're going to, the USGA and the RNA are going to have to think long and hard about these rule changes because at the end of the day, they can propose them and they can put them into play in local events, in USGA sanctioned events, meaning the, the US Open. But if you push too hard, I think you run the risk of alienating the PGA Tour because the PGA Tour doesn't need the USGA's rules. They could come up with their own set of rules. And so I think you've got to play this game where, you know, you want to implement some rules to maybe improve or I shouldn't say improve, but to, uh, you know, maybe place a, a larger benefit on the guys that are going to be more accurate off the tee. Give, put, make accuracy a premium, maybe not make it so much, so much of a bombing gouge tour. So there are some potential changes, but Gene did do some testing recently and he highlights some of the things that certain players that have certain speeds and, and whether they're lower high spin, like some players are going to benefit from these potential changes where others they they might get dinged. So who's going to benefit? Who's going to who's going to be going up the list, and who's going to be going down the list, Gene? Well, and and you summed it up. I I would say this. I would I would make the argument this way: not who is going to benefit, but who is going to lose the least because yeah, everyone's going to everyone's going to lose. It's just, you know, do you minimize your loss? And so to give a little background, um, I, I approached Jonathan on this and I said, Hey, I'd been thinking about it. And one of the, one of the, the points that's been thrown out is they want to increase the spin rate on the golf ball by increasing the spin rate on the golf ball. You lower the initial ball velocity but you also create a golf ball that's more similar to a ballada than, you know, we'll use Titleist as an example than, you know, the current Pro V1. So I went out on eBay where you can buy everything short of a baby, maybe even there on the on the black market web, but uh, and bought a brand new, brand new, unopened box of um, Titleist Tour Balladas. And what was fascinating was I'd heard when, when I was interested in this, I talked to people in the industry, a lot of very knowledgeable people. And they said, well, you just, you can't do that. And I said, well, why can't I do that? And they said, well, the, the rubber in the balls um, will decay. The balls aren't going to have the same velocity. And I was like, all right, that makes a lot of sense, but I'm still going to do it. It's, you know, 40, 50 bucks to get this dozen. I'm going to give it a shot. Here was the crazy part because I, you know, I've been doing this for 32 years. 
I had historical data on launch and spin at like 110 miles an hour. So the first thing I did was run these balls and look back at the data. It was exact. I mean, exact. These balls hadn't degraded anything in performance, which was really encouraging for this test. But more encouraging, uh, under almost all of the conditions of a driver, the Tour Bolada averaged about 500 RPM more spin than the Pro V1. And so it hit that mark perfectly, kind of that's been bandied about in the industry as a you know potential regulator. So then we went, okay, now we've got a Pro V1 and a Bolada with 500 RPM spin. Let's now start playing with uh, tour driver distances. Um, and then let's start playing with spin rates of those distances. And what we found was if you were a mid to high spinning player, i.e. 26 to 2,800, which is a little high for the tour, but you know, back to the DJ and the ROM, it's pretty realistic for these guys playing the power fade to get that spin rate up. If you were up in the mid to high category, when you went from a Pro V1 to a Bellata, you lost 32.4 yards in distance. Now, if you went on the lower end of that, so a player swinging inside out and uh, sub 2,400 on the spin, you lost 20 yards of distance. So there was a delta of almost 13 yards between two swing types and what was fascinating to me about this is this just completely opens up a can of worms where now if you're swinging inside out and plus four on the attack angle and playing that high low spinning draw you stand to gain a club in distance over players playing the power draw with the exact same golf ball because your your swing characteristics are such so you're now aiding one segment of a swing type on the PGA Tour while penalizing another one. And so, you know, I'm sure all these guys at the USGA and the RNA, I've worked with them, they're all off the charts smart. So I'm sure they've, you know, looked at this, but it is really interesting kind of, of unintended consequences that may occur if you just look at spin to slow the golf ball down. The other thing was we did this in wind-free conditions. If you throw wind in and you get that ballooning effect, especially on those higher spinning golf balls, you could potentially even have a greater uh, difference between these two types of players. The third component, which we didn't really test for, but also comes in is side spin. If you play and you have an increased side spin because you're playing a, a shot that has curvature, you're more than likely going to be penalized more than a player that hits a straight ball. So it was just interesting looking at all of these kind of subsections of PGA Tour swings and seeing who would benefit and who would not. And, and the final point I'll throw out there is the wedge. And the wedge was really interesting for me because – Everyone that's on the tour right now has grown up with the modern golf ball. And with the exception of some of these guys in their, you know, mid to late forties, but, um, the modern golf ball, you aim at a pin, it comes down. And for the most part, it stops unless you just took a massive, you know, to pay like divot out of it. That wasn't the case with the Bolada, And we saw that 
where we saw a dramatic 2,000 RPM higher spin. So if a, a Pro V1 was at 10,000, a Tour Volata was at 12,000. And you go back and look at old footage, these guys had to aim 10, sometimes 20 yards past the pin because they knew the ball was going to back up because it had so much spin. So the short game aspect, uh, the overall kind of takeaway is certain players are going to be aided, certain players are going to be penalized, but more importantly, all players are going to have to adjust their swings to try to maximize, you know, a, a, a potential change in the golf ball. Yeah. The one thing that stands out from, from your insights is that the straight ball's gonna, gonna be at a premium because you're not going to want you're not going to want to work it as much because you stand the risk at least from what I'm hearing you say run the risk of of having some wild differences in in spin if you're trying if you're trying to be an artist and there aren't as many guys out on tour nowadays that are trying to do that um, I think about Bubba Watson would be one guy that would come to mind I mean what happens to Bubba if he goes back to playing more of a Balada-esque golf ball with his, uh, with his it, it, propensity it, yeah, for trying it, to move it. It becomes a real challenge. And, you know, I'll throw this out to you, Chris. So let's say this change happens tomorrow. You know, what kind of equipment are you fitting these guys to? I mean, everything, everything's got an LS stamped on it suddenly, right? To, sure. you know, to try to get back that 500 RPM spin. And, you know, it, it raises some interesting questions. You know, do the, do the OEMs, the equipment manufacturers, suddenly just jam the CG in a certain position to get it sub-1500 to, you know, try to adjust accordingly? No, I could absolutely seeing a, a pivot being made from the, the club manufacturing side. I mean, just like we've seen it, I mean, kind of trend towards the way the game is right now. I mean, everything is predominantly high launch, low spin, high launch, low spin, high launch, low spin. So now if we make a, a golf ball change and now to your point, everything becomes a, a quote unquote LS model, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely going to require a response from those that are in the, the club manufacturing business. And as far as us from a fitting perspective, I mean, the average amateur, how much of a difference did they see versus a tour player? I mean, that kind of begs the question, uh, so I'd, I'd be curious to actually run that test with a, uh, with a player or two and just kind of see how dramatic of a difference they see in performance with modern equipment and you know, a different structured golf ball. So we saw just FYI, we did run at 92 miles an hour, kind of a standard amateur swing. Um, and we saw a 22 yard uh, decrease in distance for the player i mean so, taking it out I on mean, the golf me, course so when they're hitting you know when they're actually playing on the course and teeing it up off the tee box approach shots are you know from the fairway from the rough around the green you know how much differentiation do we actually see in a practical application model from yep. okay we're controlled environment testing versus now when we put it in play on the golf course what is that delta yeah no, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that, you know, it's kind of like learning a new skill that, you mm -hmm. know, suddenly these players that had an aptitude with one product, that's why, 
you know, and if you read that press release, you know, my takeaway, and it was just my interpretation is they're not going to touch the amateur ranks they're, you know, other no than chance. the competitive, because it just, it, it just, They'd riot. the game's, the game's hard enough as it is. And if you suddenly show that you're hitting the ball 20, maybe even 30 yards to your point, Chris, you know, for uh, real world conditions, just people are going to be giving up the game. It's just, it won't, you know, it, 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 it's, it's not fun and no one quite understands T box effectively for, you know, everything would just change. And I, I, it, I, I can't for the life of me see that it would, you know, be applicable to amateurs. Could you imagine if this actually goes through and they do suggest a, a spinnier golf ball do you imagine what what it's going to be like for the tour reps at a lot of these major manufacturers trying to dial in the gear for all the guys on their staff? Oh, oh it's, it's going to be rough. It's there's, a, it's, I mean, there's it's definitely a learning curve when it comes to the the fitting component in the tour departments and on tour and what it is that we see. I would almost take the other position for the amateur ranks and say, okay, we have a spinnier golf ball. You know what? That's not necessarily a bad thing. As the the direction that the OEMs have gone with uh, loft jacking specifically, and you know, making everything just super super strong, because they know the majority of the consumers out there are going to go and hit these products in a a simulator environment. They're not actually going to be outdoors seeing real ball flight, and they see something that on a simulator goes further goes faster that's generally what they're going to buy but then they take it out on the golf course and they see something that produces an apex height of 70 feet and a landing angle of 30 degrees coming into a green and when it comes to scoring potential it's just not there so if the amateur keeps the gear consistent to where they are but makes a modification in a golf ball that does provide more launch potentially more spin I mean, you may see the opposite effect happen in the amateur ranks and scores actually begin to improve a little bit because now all of a sudden they have an opportunity to have more control over their ball. I, I, I don't know. There's part of me that's just that just wants the USGA to just stay out of it. Just leave it like it is. Game's yep. good. People, people enjoy seeing guys hit it 340, Take aggressive angles. It's exciting, but hundred yeah, percent. There's part. There's part of me that does want to see this go into play, just because I I want some chaos. Morbid curiosity. Morbid curiosity. Exactly. I want. I want the chaos. I listen, want listen, all, listen. I want, bomb, I, give me, listen give me, give me whatever shit air, storm. Just- yeah, seriously. I I guess I guess I am a closet anarchist. I I want I want to see I want to see mass chaos. What's the uh now what's it's, the line from it, from Batman? Some people just want to watch the world burn. That's me. <laughs> yeah. That's me, I guess. Well, that's I, that's Jay. You Wall. know, uh, yeah. Well, you put that on your Twitter feed. So, uh <laughs> you know, uh I, I mean, here's here's my thing. I I I you know, and you brought it up in the intro, and you know, it, it. I think I brought it up a few months ago when I, you know, walked a lot of these courses on the West Coast swing. Other than Tory, there was no rough, and you know, I have to believe that was intentional. 
And the reason being they want low scores. They want people to tune in due to low scores and they can easily make, you know, the rough grow, especially after 320 yards and they can make greens hard and they can watch scores jack up and you can get your chaos, but guess what? Your ratings, you know, there's, there's a direct relationship between chaos on a golf course and ratings and they happen to go in two totally different directions. So I, I just, totally different I can't, directions. For the, yeah, I can't for the life of me seeing the PGA going along with this just for the simple fact that they're an entertainment organization and it's about big drives and sticking pins. And so, you know, yeah, it, talked it, it, about would, that. it would, it, where it's, I was just going to say, we've talked about that a couple of times where what moves the needle when it comes to actual viewers, and that's you know the highlight reel, the hero shot, the you know the sports center, uh, look at player X you know pulling off this unbelievably incredible shot, and people go absolutely insane. Hey, that's what people tune in and watch for is to watch these marquee players just pull off some shot that they have no chance in hell of pulling off at home. And yep. I think that's where you actually get your viewership is is watching somebody hit a shot where you just go, wow, that was really impressive. And if you start to take those well, shots out of those players' hands, then it's kind of boring again. Well, and there's there's a reason that, you know, you tune in and watch the PGA, not the Wednesday Rec League, if they had a camera on it, because you just don't want to see guys, you know, beating it around a golf course and, and topping shots and, you know, pulling shots and slicing shots. I mean, we want to see something extraordinary, something that inspires us, something that, you know, um, motivates us. And, and, you know, the, uh, you know, when I was doing this and looking at, you know, that potential of, you know, 20 to 30 yards distance, do you want to see, you know, and at the time it, you know, Kepka was really thriving, or you could even make the argument of Scheffler, you know, do you want to see him hitting a four iron or a hybrid into a green, or do you want to see him hitting a seven iron into a green where he stands a chance of getting a birdie putt? And, you know, the reality is he pulls enough four irons out or enough hybrids out, and he's probably going to be two to three over because statistics just say you're not going to hit those clubs as close and the scoring will represent that. Yep. Let chaos reign. That's all I'm going to say. No, you're 100% right, Gene. Let chaos reign. Anyway, all right, before we get into our last topic of this week's pod, I want to let you know that this week's episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by our good friends at Golf Pride and their new CPX grip. As we've discussed before, the new CPX features an exo-diamond quilted pattern right on the grip. It's derived from BMX bike grips. What it's going to do is it's going to reduce the vibrations that are going to be going up into your hands and your arms. Um, it is a great grip if you play in areas of the country that are going to be cold. It's a great grip if you're on the older end of the age spectrum and you still play a lot of golf and maybe you get worn out after the first 18 and you start to run out of steam on the second 18. It's a great option there. So if you want to try out this new vibration reduction technology that's housed inside the CPX script, go check it out for yourself. Go to golfpride.com or go to your local retailer 
And thanks again to Golf Pride for being a sponsor, Fully Equipped. All right, last topic. Found this one to be pretty interesting only because he's used this driver shaft for eons. I noticed Bubba Watson posted on his social media feed that he is testing a new driver shaft. Do you remember? Do you guys know what driver shaft he typically plays? Here we go. Let's see how how much of a gearhead you really are. I remember it was pink. Is that yep. still the same one? Same one. It is a Graphaloy by Matrix Tour shaft. It's one that actually came out in the late 1990s. Hard to That's believe. What I thought. Yeah, I, I knew it yeah. was a Graphaloy, but I couldn't remember which Graphaloy it was. Yeah, I mean, this is the shaft that he's had in his driver when he's won when he won the Masters. It is an interesting design because it has a steel tip section mm-hmm. on the, and then it also has a graphite body. So it's a multi-material shaft, and you think about, um, think about Stroke Lab for Odyssey and their putter shaft. I mean, this is this is sort of the same design, but for a driver. And you know, nowadays, you wouldn't see anything like this because they have the materials and the technologies and designs to manufacture graphite shafts that are crazy stiff i mean now now you're getting to the point where you've got iron shafts that are just as good from a performance standpoint as steel steel shafts as in consistency and dispersion so bub has been playing this shaft in his driver for for forever let's just say that and he is now in a new project x hazardous rdx smoke black shaft and i reached out to the guys over at true temper and they said that this new shaft that he's using is in the 60 gram range. And I mentioned that because guess how heavy that by matrix was. I'm guessing 80. 80. There you go. You got it. 80 grams. So he shed 20 grams of weight from the driver shaft. Well, that's pretty, pretty significant. How, how old's Bubba? Hey, now, now you're, now you're, now you're, now you're seeing where I'm going with this. So, so as Gene asks, how old is Bubba Watson? He's 43. Let's well, get up there in age a little 40s. bit. Yeah, he's 43. So I, I just found that interesting because I remember, I guess it was probably three years ago when I noticed that Tiger had gone to a 60 gram part in the driver and then i also noticed it was like oh wait he's changed the weight in the three wood and the five wood he had shed 10 grams from those clubs and it you know it highlights the importance of of making sure that you're using the right gear it also highlights the fact that father time is still undefeated and to fight back father time sometimes you need to go to a lighter weight shaft even bubba watson who's still crazy long He's finding that it's a better benefit for him to go to a 60 gram part versus an 80 gram part. Well, it it, it kind of, you know, it highlights, and I've always found this amusing and, you know, kind of started with Nicholas. And now, you know, you hear Tiger chiming in. All of these guys, when they hit their mid to late 40s, suddenly start complaining about that the golf ball's going too far. And, uh, <laughs> You know, and it's I, I I attribute it to just the pure competitiveness that suddenly they're not able to keep up with the youngins, and so there's got to be some explanation for it. And blame the golf ball for it, but uh, Easy it's um, 
yeah, it's an easy scapegoat. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think it's more father time than it is anything else that's, you know, right. really affecting these there. guys. Yeah. I, I'm 100% in agreement with Eugene. I just found it interesting that we have a guy who's played the shaft forever and finally decides, you know what, it's just not worth it. 80 grand, 80 grand part, a little too heavy for me. So how am I going to maintain my speed, go to a lighter part? And it was fun to watch Bubba. He said he, he called out Brooks. I don't know why. Are they playing together soon? I don't know what was going on there, but he, uh, he called out Brooks. Also gave the shaft a shout out, which most of these guys, they don't have shaft deals. So I thought that was a little bit interesting that, I mean, other than DJ with LA golf and Bryson with LA golf as well, you don't see shaft sponsors. So I, I did find that to be curious that he, uh, maybe he's got a deal go- coming up with, with true temper. I don't know. I haven't heard anything about well, that, but the, the other, the other interesting thing is, and I think, you know, these younger guys, you know, like Bryson, they're not following the same rule book. They're not following the double X, uh, heavier shaft. I mean, they're looking for, they're looking for shafts that are more flexible and they're looking for shafts that are lighter. Um, because they're, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier, they're looking for pure speed and they're trying to literally milk every, you know, mile per hour out of their equipment that they can and uh so it's you know it's interesting because these guys are just they're just jump starting to you know what guys in their 40s and 50s realize it's just they need something light and uh and whippy to you know keep the ball going they're starting out with light and whippy trying to maximize distance so it, it is an interesting shift in just you know and Chris, are you seeing that to a certain extent with these guys when they come in for distance, these elite players not going with the X and double X heavier weighted shafts on the driver? Yeah, they don't necessarily need to. I mean, the the heads are becoming so stable. I mean, taking advantage of multi-material construction and weight displacement and blah, 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 everything that we've talked about in the past. I mean, all the things that they're doing with engineering and design in the actual club heads themselves, these guys are looking for, how can I swing this this instrument as fast as possible? I need to generate the maximum amount of speed regardless of where I hit it on the face. And that's kind of the continuing trend we're seeing is speed, 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 distance, distance, distance. Because, I mean, if we talk about statistics, I mean statistics are going to favor proximity. I mean, if you're hitting it 330 and in the rough, or you're hitting it 290 in the fairway, eh, you're still in play in the rough, obviously, and the likelihood of you being able to get it on the green, yeah, your proximity is probably going to be okay taking advantage of that extra 20, 30, 40 yards if you can get the speed there. Uh, there you go. It's wild. Now it's making now it's making me want to consider the idea to test something lighter. There you Although go. maybe I just need to work test on my it. short game. I, I think that's uh, probably where I need to go. Work on my chipping. Nah, swing out, today, your, swing out of your shoes. If I could get you another three, four, five miles an hour of ball speed coming off the face, and you didn't have to do anything different with your short game, and now all of a sudden you were hitting. 
you know, a 8-9 wedge instead of a 5-6-7, would your scores get better? I would hope so. I mean, that's what most people would say. Like, I don't have to do anything different. You know, maybe instead of being in the center cut, I'm slightly off into the rough. But to Gene's point, where do you really see rough? I mean, I know out here in Arizona, <laughs> there's you know, there's not a whole lot of it around. Grass is expensive to grow. I mean, you might be uh, you might be off of the fairway, or you know, in this case, in the desert. But if it's still in play and you can still get a club on it, take advantage of the extra distance. And the, the term that I always hate is bomb and gouge. But I use it this week. Surprise! You oh, didn't call God. me out. Ugh. If you can take advantage of the extra distance and still keep the ball in play, eh, proximity to the hole is probably going to be better with those shorter scoring clubs than they are the proximity clubs. I need to make a trip to Scottsdale. Maybe we need to do a driver fitting. I don't know. I'm here, brother. Come see me. I know. I know. I got to do it. All right. Well, that will do it for episode 139 of Fully Equipped. As always, if you want the gear news, check us out on social media. We are at fully underscore equipped on Twitter and at fully equipped golf on Instagram. Thanks as always for listening. See you around.